Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, before we get started this evening, I have just like eight or nine announcements. <clears throat> Hopefully not that long. Okay, first of all, uh, the devotionals that I handed out uh, last Sunday, uh, some of you came up and did request some large print versions of that. That is on order. They're not here yet, but as soon as they do get here, uh, I will pass them out. Yeah, I could use that too. <laughs> there were some questions about how the book was uh, kind of organized, that it was a little bit confusing. Uh, we will go over that more in detail as the lessons actually uh, commence, but they're broken up into lessons 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. They're each an individual lesson. So, uh, But again, we'll go more into that. Uh, starting next week. Uh, remember the New Year's Eve service. Uh, be thinking about that, uh, what you want to do, say, etc., uh, etc. Et for that. Uh, do know that uh, it will not be live streamed. Okay. Um, so anything you do or say, it's just going to stay right here. It's not going to go out into the ether. Amen. So uh, be encouraged about that. Uh, Christmas for Christ. We have uh, some pamphlets up here. Uh, quite a few of them yet. And envelopes. That's what I said. <laughs> Close enough. Envelopes up here. Uh, if you haven't grabbed any, if you're still praying, seeking the Lord for direction on that. Uh, totally understand that. Uh, but just be aware that they're up here. And um, again, as the Lord leads you to give, uh, please do that. Please give according as the Lord has blessed us and according as the Lord directs us. Amen. Um, Tuesday evening prayer, I do want to put a plug in for that. Um, my desire, of course, is, is that every one of us would, would want to be here for Tuesday evening prayer. Uh, I'm certainly not going to try to guilt anyone. Uh, again, that's not me, and it doesn't work anyway. But I will say that uh, I'm coming, and I'm being blessed by it. So, you know, at the end of the day, um, it's really up to you. It's really up to you. And uh, I will say that if you do come, you will be blessed because of it. Uh, the Lord will meet you here. And uh, I, I know some of you have good reasons for not coming. I mean, I get all of that, okay? Um, but if you are able to come, uh, if you are able to come, I strongly encourage you to consider coming. And the reason for that is uh, it will bless you. It will be a blessing to you. It will be a blessing to those that are here. As we come together and we gather together in the presence of the Lord, uh, there's, there's power from that. Uh, and quite frankly, I can be honest, in the house of the Lord, I like seeing your face. I, I like being able to speak with you. I like, uh, I like being able to, to be in a position where I, I can minister to a need if, if there is one there. And, and so, uh, please come. No guilt, no pressure, but just an encouragement to move forward in God, to, to do a little bit more for Him, uh, and God will bless you because of it. Now, I'm going to be blessed either way. Okay, can, can I say it that way? Whether you come or not, God is going to bless me for being here. God is going to bless those that are here uh, when they come and, and, and gather together and pray. So, uh, if you want a blessing... If you want the Lord to speak with you, there is, there is something special when we gather together to pray as a body. Amen. It's one time a week. Uh, I really look forward to this time. I do. Because it is, uh, even when I was a new convert, we gathered together. I mean, we actually met at the church every single night. Uh, in prayer every night, uh, including Sunday. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, this is one time a week. I want God to bless us. I want God to bless you. 
Okay? And at the end of the day, the more we do for the Lord, the more He will bless us. The more we give to the kingdom of God, the more He gives to us. The more He can work through us. His will. And, you know, we have the ability to say yes, we have the ability to say no, and and we do that. But the more we say yes to God, the more He is going to be able to work in us. The more we lose Him in our lives to work through us. Does that make sense? Uh, So, again, uh, I'm not coming down on anyone, but I want to encourage us to move forward in God. Because I want to see God working through everybody here. I really do. I am excited to see what God is about to do in this church. And He's not going to do it through me. He's going to do it through each of you. I want to see that. I think you guys do too. So, if you're free, what's the maximum effective range of an excuse, Bishop? Zero meters. That's right. Excuses don't get us anywhere. And so, you know, I know I know there are legitimate reasons, and I also know that there are maybe one or two excuses. And so, uh, yeah, yeah, reasons stretched over a lie. Um, let's find a let's find an excuse to be here. Let's find an excuse to move forward in God. Amen. Let's all stand. That will serve as an excellent segue, maybe a bit contrived, but still valid, into our lesson this evening. Let's pray for that lesson. Let's ask God to bless, to move, and to minister according to His perfect will. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. You're a wondrous Savior. You're a glorious King. I am so thankful for You. I am so thankful for the presence of God, which is already present in this place. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for all that we are about to receive from You tonight. Help us to be doers and not hearers only. Help us, Lord Jesus, to apply the Word of the Lord to our lives, the situations that we face, the circumstances we might find ourselves in. Help us, Lord, to be apt to teach this Word that we are about to receive that we can give it to someone else. Hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, Lord, above all else, that Your great and precious name would be glorified in our midst today. Hallelujah, Jesus. This is Your service. We are Your people. This is Your church body. You suffered on a cross and died for us. You are the one that purchased us. You are the one that paid the price for our sins Yourself. Hallelujah, Jesus. It is You that we worship. It is You that we praise this evening. It is You that we serve with our lives. It is You that we submit to. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. I pray, God, that You would arise in this place and that Your enemies would be scattered. That Your name, Your great name, Your wondrous name would be magnified in this house today. Oh, You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We acknowledge You, the Lord our God, the Lord our Savior, the Lord our Redeemer. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus, that Your perfect will would be manifest in this place this evening. Thank You, Jesus, for all that You are going to do here tonight. We give You all the glory. We give You all the honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. The segue into our lesson tonight, which is about prayer. How about that? What a coincidence. I've entitled it, Reasons not to pray. Reasons not to pray. Now, I will admit that the title is a little provocative. But, there are reasons that we use, aren't there? When we just don't want to pray, we don't feel like it. Uh, There are reasons that we'll throw at it to make ourselves feel better, to justify, to excuse our actions or perhaps lack of action. In Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus is relating a parable on this very topic. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, Jesus is teaching and He says this, He spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. Okay, so this is the reason he's telling this, uh, this parable. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. Verse 2, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. There was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him, though He bear long with them? I tell you that He will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth? Please understand, that question that He asks at the end ties in directly to the parable He just related. Amen. So there are certain reasons that we like to use. Maybe you even have a favorite one. I'm going to go through a few reasons that we think we have. And then some reasons that we actually have. Not good ones. But the real reasons that we don't pray as much as we ought to. We all know we need to pray. And I think if queried, I think most of us would admit, I don't pray as much as I feel like I should. One of the reasons that are given is that I don't have the time. I just don't have the time to pray. I'm so busy. I got this and that and that. And no doubt, we're busy. We're busy society. We're busy people. Another corollary of this might be, I'm too tired. I didn't get enough sleep. The reason for that is just I'm so busy. I just I don't even have time to get a proper night's sleep. Well, first of all, church, we uh, we all get the same 168 hours a week, just like everyone else does, and we're given the opportunity to allocate that according to our own desires, our own choices. We can allocate that however we feel like. And the thing is, I've said this before, I believe it to be absolutely true, we always have time to do everything we want to do. And it's, it's also true, we always can find the money to do the things that we really want to do. Even if we have to get a credit card, borrow money from a friend, rob a bank. <clears throat> I mean, people... People see that as an option sometimes because they do it. But we can do everything that we want to do. The problem, of course, is desire, motivation. Those things that I want to do are the things that I'm going to do. Those things I want to afford are the things I'm going to afford. If I want to pray, church, I'm going to find the time to pray. If I have to stay up a little bit later, get up a little bit earlier, sacrifice some time with friends or family, I mean, I'm going to do what I need to do to find the time to pray. John 9 and 4 says this, I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Speaking of time, Today is the day, church. Right now is the time where we need to be about the Father's business. There's a time coming where it's going to be too late. Either the Lord is going to pluck me off this planet, or God's going to come and pluck all of us off the planet. But in either case, time's up. There'll be no more chance to do these things. Proverbs 16-9 says, A man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directeth his steps. Hopefully, it's the Lord directing our steps. There are things we want to do. There are things we want to get done, taken care of. We have plans. We have hopes and dreams. But if we put our schedule in the hands of God, one of the things we're going to be busy with is prayer. 
We are going to be about the Father's business. And if we place our schedule in the hands of God, I promise you, we will have time to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing. Pray always. Psalm 31.15, My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from them that persecute me. All the time that we have, we place that in the hands of God. And just like our tithes, church, just like we place the first fruits of our finances, of our increase in the hands of God, and He blesses the remaining 90%, if we'll give a little bit more time to Him in prayer, He will bless the remainder of what's left. He will stretch that out. You can't tell me He doesn't. I know for a fact He does. He's done it too many times for me. So this reason that I don't have the time is not really a good reason at all. It's an excuse. It's an excuse to do something. It's an excuse to not do something I don't feel like doing. Another reason we give is, well, God doesn't answer anyway. I tried this once and I prayed and He didn't answer. I asked God to... to, do this or to take care of that, and he didn't do it. So why bother? John 15 and 7 says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I say unto you, What things soever ye desire when ye pray, believe that ye receive them, and ye shall have them. Now, we go on and we we see a a couple qualifiers to that. These aren't completely open-ended promises. If I stop here, Lord Jesus, I would love a billion dollars. I'm believing you. I'm believing you can do that. Well, let's continue. James 4 and 2 says, You lust and you have not, you kill it, you desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight a war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Verse 3 continues, Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Okay. First John 5 and 14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. So I just can't ask for anything that I'm lusting after that I desire for myself. All of these things, church, the promises of God, the gifts of the Spirit, all of these things are given to us and manifest through us for the purpose of giving Him glory, advancing His kingdom, moving His will forward in this this world. It's not for me. Now, oftentimes I am a beneficiary of these promises, and thank God for that. He does take care of my needs, my legitimate needs. A billion dollars is probably not a legitimate need. Enough to keep the heat on, put food on the table, that's a legitimate need. And if I'm putting His kingdom first, I can trust Him that He'll provide for my needs. But these promises are given, church, first and foremost, to advance His kingdom. For His purposes, not mine. And I need to subjugate my own will, my own even legitimate needs and desires for His desires and His will. And when I do that, I can be assured that He will hear me when I cry to Him. And He will most certainly answer my prayers in my time of need. Another concern, another Reason that we give. God's not concerned with my situation. And this, this is a, a, a reason that we give more specifically like this. Well, yeah, He's going to do it for that person. But I, I don't see Him doing that for me. He's concerned with brother and sister so-and-so. I'm not so sure that He's concerned about my situation. And it could take another corollary 
it's such a small thing. I'll just, I'll just gut it up and, and push through. It's such a little thing. God surely wouldn't be interested in taking care of that. Well, understand before I go any farther, you know, we can believe these reasons. That's your choice. But you're going to believe them. You're going to believe them with the knowledge that all of Scripture is, is contrary to your belief. You're going to believe that against Scripture. Okay? So you're free to believe whatever you want to believe. But you will hold to these beliefs at the expense of letting go of pretty much the whole book. Philippians 4.6 says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, even the little things, even the small situations. Give it all to God. Trust Him for everything. He wants that. Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Every single one of them. Every need that you have, He will supply. 1 Peter 5 and 7 says, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. What do you have care about? What do you have concern over? Give it to God. Tell Him. He's promised us. He hears us because He cares about those situations. Yes, they are small to God, but can we be real here? Everything is small to God. Every situation is small to God. So don't worry about your situation just being a little bit too small for Him. In reality, they all are. But He wants all of it. He wants us to cast everything on Him. Because He cares for us. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Amen. He not only wants us to cast our cares on Him, He understands them. He relates to them. He knows what you're going through. Praise God. All God is concerned about is your situation. Now, first and foremost, He wants your situation such that you are saved. That you are in a right relationship, a covenant relationship with God. After that, He wants you to conform to His image. Your happiness doesn't really fall into here anywhere. Your promised joy. Your promised peace. But I wouldn't be too concerned about your happiness. Don't be concerned about that. Be concerned about being right with God. Be concerned about being in right relationship with Him. Accomplishing His will. Prayer isn't all that important. And this comes eventually as a result of the other point. This doesn't work. God doesn't really answer all of our prayers anyway. We get to the place where we believe that prayer isn't all that important. It's just not necessary. Colossians 4 and 2 says, Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Acts 2 and 42 says, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in prayer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. We've already read Luke 18 and 1. He spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. Church, we're commanded to pray. We're commanded to pray always. We should always have an attitude of prayer. Prayer is communion with God. Is that important? I hope, I hope it's important to you. It needs to be important to us. Building and developing a relationship with our God needs to be a priority in our lives. He is our first love, church. He is the one that we love more than anything else. More than my own life, 
certainly more than my own desires. I love and I esteem and I reverence and I respect Jesus Christ more than anything or anyone else in the world. I ought to long to spend time with Him in prayer. To build that relationship with God. Prayer is where I receive from God everything He has for me. That's where He speaks with me. And I speak with Him. That's where I get a chance to walk with Him in the cool of the day. To talk with Him. And Him with me. Prayer becomes the instrument of God's will on earth. When I'm praying, when I'm seeking the face of God, when I'm asking Him, when I'm interceding for someone, when I'm praying warfare prayer. Folks, I don't have power in myself over spirits, over principalities or powers. I don't have the capacity to change someone's heart and mind so that they turn from darkness to light. I can't do that. I can, I can learn all of the, the strategies and tactics. I can learn all of the philosophies and all the apologetic stuff in the world. And it's not going to avail me anything if God isn't working through that. It's not going to work because I can't save anyone. I can't change someone's heart. God does that. Only God can do that. And when I pray for that person, God is freed to work in that person's life. God won't... God won't violate His free moral agency, just like He didn't violate yours. But, He can make things easy. He can make some choices easier and easier to make. He can bring someone to a place where they're ready to hear the Gospel. He can bring someone to a place where they're ready to receive what God has finally. What God has for them. We can't do that. And so we pray. And we lose God into that situation. We pray and we take authority over demons and devils through the name of Jesus Christ. God's will is going to be accomplished on earth because someone prayed. Because someone prayed. I don't know how to pray. All of us have probably said that at one time or another. Luke 11 and 1 says this, It came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. I can imagine Jesus was pretty good at prayer. He probably prayed some very eloquent, wonderful sounding prayers. And the disciples heard that and was like, teach me to pray like that. I want to know how to pray like that. And he goes on to Give a format for prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus gives us a starting point. It's up to us to move forward from there. In everything, church, Jesus gives us the base materials. He gives us the raw materials, but He expects us to do something with them. Here's a talent. Multiply it. Let's see what you do with that talent. You build it. You work with it. You cause it to grow. And then God can trust you with another talent. We learn how to pray by praying. I encourage you to read all the books you want on it. There's some great books. E.M. Bones. Fantastic books on prayer. <clears throat> Guy's amazing. Prolific writer about prayer. But you can read all the books in the world. If you don't do anything with it, it's not going to do anything for you. It won't matter. I'd rather you didn't read any books and just spend some time in prayer. Now, you've got enough time, you can do both. But uh, you're going to choose one over, the, one over the other. Spend time in prayer. Let God teach you how to pray. You will learn how to pray. Just pray. Just do it. Just pray. Now, those are reasons that we throw out there. We think they're reasons. We think they're valid. They sound good enough to me. But here are the real reasons, church, that people don't pray as they ought. We don't believe. We lack faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Our faith is going to be demonstrated by what? 
Our actions. Absolutely they are. If I say I believe something, but I do the exact opposite, that's where you get the phrase, well, I hear what you're saying, but now I'm seeing what you're doing. And there's a conflict here. Saying one thing, doing another. The thing that we truly believe is the thing that we're going to be about. That's what I believe, folks. If I believe God blesses my finances when I pay tithes, guess what? I'm going to pay my tithes. If I believe it's the will of God, it's it's the plan and purpose of God for me to do that, I'm going to do that. Now I can say I'm going to do that. Yep, that looks good. That looks like Bible. And then I don't do it. What does that say? I'm not really believing that, am I? Not at the end of the day. Romans 10.14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? It's a good question. If I don't believe God answers prayer, I'm certainly not going to waste my time trying. Right? That makes sense. Proverbs 23.7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. The thing that I'm convinced of, the thing that I believe in my heart, that's how I'm going to move forward. If I don't believe in the efficacy, the power of prayer, if I don't believe that prayer works, I'm not going to pray. I just won't. Conversely, if I do believe in the power of prayer, and I am convinced and I do have faith and belief that that God does hear and answer prayer, I'm going to be praying. We don't pray primarily because we don't believe that it works. Another reason we don't pray is because we allow our flesh to be in control. Mark 14.38 says, Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Galatians 5.17 says, The flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that you would. This is part of our war, folks. I've got to war every day with me, with my old nature. I've got to keep it into subjection. I've got to crucify it daily. I've got to make sure that it stays in subjection to the Spirit of Christ. If I allow it to raise up, then I need to crucify it again. But we don't need to allow it to raise up again. We can keep it subjected. We can keep the Spirit of Christ uh, in charge of us. 1 Corinthians 9.27 says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul understood this. He kept his body in subjection, his old nature. Keep it in, in subjection to the Spirit of Christ. We don't have to allow it to raise up again to the point where we're struggling with things. It's going to require a little bit of vigilance on your part, on my part. But well worth it, folks. Well worth it. Keep it in subjection. Our entire being must be daily, continually submitted to the Spirit of God. And my old nature must be continually subjected and placed in obedience to the Spirit of Christ. That includes my mind, my thoughts, my imaginations. And it includes my flesh, my body. When my body wants to do something, my mind starts engaging. Yeah, we should do that. Mm-mm-mm. No. And, you know, every once in a while, it's a good practice. I've discovered, at least for myself... Just to tell it no because. Just tell it no because you're in charge. And it needs to learn its place. Nothing wrong with that. Get in the practice of telling it no. It's fun to tell your flesh no. It's fun to tell Satan no. 
Another real reason we have for not praying is a lack of spiritual discipline. Psalm 37, 4 and 5 says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and He shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy ways unto the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. The word commit, that's an action verb. That's a choice that we make, a daily choice that we make. Commitment. (laughs) When we start talking about commitment with people, oh my word. That is truly a curse word in today's society. You don't want to start trying to get someone to commit to something. Well, maybe. I, I don't know. I'll try. You know, those are the kind of answers you get. Because everyone wants a way out. Everyone wants that. And I, I appreciate that. You know, I, I like options. I like having options. You know, I go to buy something. More options, the better. It makes it harder to choose. But... I like having options. I like being able to, to sort through different scenarios and different variables and, and different possibilities and pick the best one. But, you know, at some point, I've got to pull the trigger, folks. I've got I to make a choice. I've got to commit to something. Otherwise, I'm never going to have it. If I'm going to buy a car... There's colors to pick, there's, there's makes, models, there's engine size, you know, all kinds of stuff. But at some point, you know, I can, I can marvel at all the options I have, but until I pull the trigger, I'm walking. I'm not driving. I've got to pull the trigger at some point so I can start driving. I've got to commit. Now, when I commit to one vehicle... That means I don't have money anymore to buy any other vehicle. And that's the fear. That's the fear that people have. What if I buy the wrong vehicle? What if I make the wrong choice? If I'm still in this limbo, I haven't actually made a choice. I can't be wrong. I can't choose wrong. I don't have that that buyer's remorse. But I don't have anything either except options. You've got to pull the trigger, folks. You've got to make a choice. You've got to commit to something. We have decided to commit our lives to Jesus Christ in service to Him. And we need to follow through with that commitment every single day. We need to manage that choice, manage that commitment. And that shows in our discipline. That shows in our daily choices. Am I doing the things that please God? Am I making the right choices that are moving me forward in His plan? God has a plan for our lives. If I don't know it, I need to be seeking it. When I do know it, I need to be following it. If I know I'm supposed to be going here, and I start going this way, because this, this looks fun right now. This looks, that looks really interesting. Well, it might look interesting, and it might be legitimate in any other case. But it's not for my case, because God wants me going this way now. So I've got to discipline myself, say no to that, and move forward in this, even though I don't always enjoy this. I'd rather be doing this right now, but this is what God wants, so I'm going to discipline myself, and I'm going to choose that. That's spiritual discipline. That's self-discipline. It's part of discipleship. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, Refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. That word exercise is translated uh, in some translations train or discipline. Discipline yourself rather unto godliness. It takes discipline. It takes continual commitment, daily commitment to that process. I don't wake up one day and I'm godly. I don't wake up one day filled with the fruit of the Spirit. Christ-like just kind of happened. That's going to be intentional. It's going to be on purpose because I've disciplined myself and I've committed my life even to the point where I'm going to have to sacrifice some things that I want to do. 
I'm disciplining myself unto godliness. First Corinthians nine twenty four through twenty six says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Amen. Striving for the mastery. Those that do are temperate in all things. They're disciplined. We've heard this analogy before. You're training for a marathon. You're not going to see someone training at the marathon at McDonald's. I promise you, if they're at all serious about winning a marathon, you will not see them with a Big Mac and large fry in front of them. You won't. Why? Because that's not good for them. They need something a little bit more substantive. They need a little bit more nutrition than whatever that is. It tastes good. Kind of. That's what I'm told. It's supposed to taste good. You know, McDonald's fries, they are amazing for about 30 seconds if they're fresh. And then they fall off a cliff and they turn into boot leather. I don't know what people see in those things after about 30 seconds. Oh, they're good. Just warm them up. Throw a boot in the oven. Warm that up. All right. Um, You're not going to see them at McDonald's. You're going to see them disciplining their meals. They're going to be getting up early in the morning. Why? Because they're morning people. No, because they want to win a race. And they're going to go train for hours and hours and hours. Their entire life is ordered around training. Their meals are planned. This is the time that we eat. This is what we eat. No more, no less. It's disciplined. Because they want a a secular, corruptible crown. How much more serious should we take our training, our development in the spiritual? This should be a priority for us, church. We're training for an incorruptible. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Thou thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We ought to be comfortable, church. We ought to be comfortable. Not that we enjoy it, but hardship shouldn't scare us. It shouldn't scare us. We shouldn't shy away from it. We're not looking for it. We don't love it, probably, but we endure it. And that's okay. We're soldiers. That's what we do. Another reason is we've left our first love. Revelation 2.4 says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. When we first came into this, when we first got the Holy Ghost, we were first baptized in Jesus' name, we all remember that experience. We all know what that feeling was. Experiencing the presence of God for the very first time. I can remember that. I can remember walking through those church doors and, and, and getting hit in the face with a, a powerful presence of God. I remember that. I can see the carpet. I can see, I can see everything that I was seeing when that, I first felt that presence. I never felt anything like that before. I know exactly where I was, and you guys do too, when you received the Holy Ghost. Feeling that for the first time. Experiencing God in prayer. The first time you really experienced God and He spoke with you. You, 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 you communed with Him. And then time goes on. And we get used to that. And human beings are amazing in that anything, any experience can become mundane. Jumping out of airplanes can be mundane. Believe it or not. Now that first one, that was exciting. That was a rush. About the 58th time, just another day in the week. (coughs) 
Psalm 34 and 8 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in Him. Psalm 16 11 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life, and Thy presence is fullness of joy. At Thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Church, our experience with God never, ever has to get mundane or common or ordinary. We spoke last week about how, or Sunday, about how God renews things all the time. He's renewing things. He Himself is renewed continually. His mercies are renewed. His, his anointing in our lives, His presence, that's all renewed. When we come into the presence of God, every time can be like the first time. It really can. He's an infinite God. I know what that sounds like, but it can be true. He's infinite. When we go into the Word of God, I could be studying this every day, eight hours a day for a thousand years. I'll sit down the next day and something brand new is going to pop out. We all know that. The presence of God is the same exact way. He is continually, can be, continually renewed in our lives. It can be a fresh experience every time we enter into prayer with Him. What an awesome God we serve. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't want God to interfere with our life. Hudson Taylor is quoted as saying this, Whenever we truly get alone with God, He'll deal with our lives. And some people just don't want that. They're comfortable right where they're at. Galatians 2 and 20 says, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. When we come to the Lord and we experience New Testament salvation, we're not ours anymore. We've been bought with a price. We're not our own. We should feel free to allow God to come into our lives, examine whatever He wants to examine, change whatever He wants to change. Do we trust Him or don't we? If we trust Him, we're going to let Him do that. We want, our, we want His very best. And when we allow Him into our lives and we give Him that liberty to mess with whatever He wants to mess with, our lives are better for it. They're always better for it. Luke 6 and 46 says this, And why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? I pray that we never find ourselves in that spot, folks. If He is our Lord, if He is our God, then He has authority to do whatever He wants in me, in my life. He can put anything in He wants, he can take anything out He wants. Period. There's no qualifiers to that. There's no exceptions to that. If He's Lord and God in my life, if He sits on the throne of my heart, then He's in charge. Period. I have no say in the matter anymore. I have given that right to God. He's my Lord, not me. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, He that died for all, that they which live should not... And that He died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto Him which died for them and rose again. Again, we're living for Jesus Christ, not ourselves. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Again, we have got to loose ourselves of this idea that I am my own person. That I have authority in my life. If you do have authority in your life, then Christ does not. If Christ has authority in your life, then you do not. This isn't a shared throne. This isn't a two-headed monster, folks. There's one head. You or God. Again, we need to choose. We need to commit. We need to make a choice. We need to expose ourselves to God in prayer and allow Him to do what He desires to do in us. Another reason is there's sin in our life. John Bunyan is quoted as saying this, Prayer will make a man cease from sin, as sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. 
1 John 1, 5-9 says, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore come boldly into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus Christ does forgive sin. I heard, I think it was Brother Jeff Arnold, he was talking about this one point in the past. He said, when I have sin in my life, that's when I want to talk to God the least. But that's exactly the time I need Him the most. When I do have sin in my life, first of all, don't sin. You have authority over sin. You have authority over the flesh. You don't need to sin. You're not in bondage to sin anymore. But if you do mess up and you do fall into sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He will forgive you if you bring it to Him. And then He'll pick you up and we can keep walking forward in Him. It's cast into the sea of forgetfulness. He forgets when He forgives. It never happened. It never happened. Not according to God. Amen. So when we have sin in our life, rather than not pray, that was Adam and Eve's response. They hid from God because they knew that they had done wrong. But God went looking for them. Let's run to God if we are in that spot. Run to Him. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. So powerful. Amen. Now the reason we have is (laughs) to speak freely. Laziness. Sometimes we just get lazy. We need to understand, when we're praying properly, when we're praying correctly, it's not always easy. And it doesn't always come without some cost. Colossians 4 and 12 says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, also laboring, or always laboring fervently for you in prayers that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God, laboring fervently for you in prayers. That doesn't sound easy. That doesn't sound like a good time at the beach. That sounds like work. And it is. When Jesus prayed in Gethsemane, He sweat as if it were great drops of blood. Why? Because He was laboring in prayer. Romans 15 and 30 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Striving, laboring fervently in prayer. Romans 12.11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Hebrews 6 and 12 says that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience. Endurance. Discipline. Inherit the promises. Isaiah 64 and 7 says, There is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. Stirring ourselves up in prayer. I don't feel like it. That's irrelevant. I'm not commanded to feel like it. I'm not even expected to feel like it. That, that never even comes into play here. It's good when you feel like it. It makes things easier, doesn't it? We want to feel like it, but we don't need to feel like it. I don't need to feel like going to work in the morning. I rarely ever felt like going to work in the morning. Especially in the winter time when I had to hang sheetrock. There's no heat in there. There's no insulation. Yeah, just some wind. 
Isn't that cool? (laughs) Let's commit to stir ourselves up. To lay hold of God. To lay hold of God. Another reason we have is discouragement. Discouragement. Our Scripture text that we read. That men ought always to pray and not to faint. We can get discouraged when we pray and we pray and we pray. We pray, we pray, we pray, we pray. We pray again. We come up to the altar, get anointed, get anointed, pray. Hey, please pray for me. Please pray for me. Weeks, months, years, and nothing. Nothing happens. Not a blip. Not a, not a peep. Nothing. Nada. We can get discouraged at some point. Why am I even doing this? I must be looking like an idiot. Please pray for so-and-so. Please pray for me. Please pray for this. I've been doing this for years. They've got to be sick of that by now. As an aside, we'll never get sick of that. We'll pray for your need just as long as it takes. Don't think that anyone here is going to get sick of your prayer request. No sir, no ma'am, no how, no way, uh-uh. We'll keep praying until Jesus answers. But we can start thinking in our minds, this is dumb, this is stupid, why am I even persisting with this? Obviously the answer is no. No, that's not obvious. That's not obvious at all, especially, especially when we have a promise in Scripture contrary to what you're believing right now. Keep praying. Stay encouraged. God will answer. Who knows why the delay is there? Who knows in the Spirit what's going on right now? There could be all kinds of things moving in the Spirit that you're not aware of. I would say almost certainly there are things moving in the Spirit that we're not aware of. But things are happening. It may take a little while for the the natural world to catch up. I like the analogy someone told me, you chop a tree down, it's dead. It's dead right there. But the leaves are still green. There's still sap in there. It takes a while for that to catch up inside the tree. The leaves start to wither and, and, and the wood to start to, to decay. It takes time for that death to manifest, but it's dead right now. When we pray, He heard us the first day. He heard us the first day our prayers were uttered. But it may take a while for that to manifest. Stay encouraged. Don't be discouraged. Pray and don't faint. Our persistence in prayer is the kind of fervent faith He's looking for in His people. That's the question He asks at the end. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, will He find faith on the earth? Will He find faith to persevere in prayer? Will He find faith in God that will trust in God enough to hang on? To hang on no matter what's coming against you. Is our faith strong enough to trust in God, to hold on to Him, even though it seems like nothing is happening? That's the kind of fervent faith He's looking for in His people. Alright, in conclusion, maybe in general, we don't value prayer as much as we ought to because we don't understand who God is as much as we should. Maybe our understanding of God is off. Maybe our our idea of who God is is a little bit askew. If we knew the God of Scripture, knew Him, had a relationship with Him, trusted Him implicitly, people that know God, they pray. People that know God, they have a relationship with God. I should, I should say this too. Just because you're not always at Tuesday evening prayer 
don't think that I believe you don't pray. I know a lot of you pray at home. Okay? So please don't think that. And I'll also say, who cares what I think anyway? God knows what you're doing. If you're not praying, you're not going to answer to me anyway. You're going to answer to Him. So, but personally, if you care, I know a lot of you are praying at home either way. So, all right. Psalm 5, 1 through 3 says this. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. I become fascinated with the idea of paying my tithes not only financially, but in my time. Giving him the first fruits of my day, I think, is a great idea. And uh, I've been blessed because of it. Waking up a little bit earlier, if you need to, to spend time with him in prayer. It's a great start to the day. Jeremiah 29, 12 and 13 says, Then shall you call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. Folks, he's worthy of our full attention. He's worthy of our full effort. He is. He's not... He's too big and He's too powerful and He's too glorious for me to, to think that I can gain His attention or, or come into His presence giving a half-hearted offering, giving a, a cheap second-rate offering. He's worthy of much more than that, folks. He's worthy of my first fruits. He's worthy of all of me. When I search for Him with all of my heart, that's when I find Him. That's when He comes to me. Amen. And that's the way it ought to be. That's just the right thing. He's worthy of me searching for Him with all my heart. Amen. Let's all stand. And we can do that, folks. We can do that. The things that the Lord requires of us are easy and they're light. That's the yoke He places on us. It's easy. And it's light. The yoke I had before serving Jesus was laborious and arduous and hard. Serving Jesus is the easiest thing in the world if you do it with all of your might. Amen. Do it with all your heart, folks. Serve the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Give Him your all. He'll give you His. Amen. Lord Jesus, You're an awesome God. Thank You so very much for Your manifest presence here. Thank You for the Word that You have delivered unto us. Again, Lord, that we would be doers and not hearers only. Help us, Lord Jesus, to apply these words to our lives. Lord Jesus, You are so altogether worthy of our full attention, our full service, all of us, every bit of us, all of our lives. You're worthy to sit upon the throne of my heart and dictate to me Your terms, Your will, Your laws. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be submitted wholly and completely unto You so that You are free to bless us, to work in us and through us Your perfect will. Bless Your people. Bless those within the sound of my voice. Bring us back to Your house at the day appointed. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.